Good morning. March 30th, episode 6. Checking in from the car in uh, driving through Jackson right now, Jackson, Wyoming. About an hour into my drive towards a, a solo half day ski mountaineering mission, Grand Teton National Park. It's been a long time since I've done anything like this, and it's feeling really darn good. Beautiful, cold, crisp morning. Maybe some spring skiing. Yeah, first thing probably the, the feeling the film is the, the scarcity of uh, of big mountain days. Uh, that surely has an impact on my on my mindset out here, and that'll be in check or or an, on my radar. It's both a motivating factor and a distracting factor. So I want to own in that right away. Uh, I haven't worked in a while. I haven't skied much um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, mainly, I'd say uh, family family matters are more pressing, and I've got the flexibility to do so. So, been off and out of work. The conditions and client requests are somewhat in line with that as well. It's been pretty poor skiing, but more than anything, the uh, the post-newborn phase has been quite trying for the, for the Delise Porter family. Uh, something I didn't quite appreciate is that those first couple weeks are are actually quite easy. The super sleepy, blissed out baby, and she's growing into some preferences and moods and uh, and needs. That are, that are taxing the system. Uh, yeah, but it, it's also, like I said, it is in line with the the mountain conditions. That we just had a record warm spell that is, I mean, I'm looking at dry ground here on the valley floor, which is somewhat unheard of for early March. But apparently there are dry patches up into the mountains too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that today, which is really unheard of. And it what I what I am hearing is colleagues and friends and, and acquaintances. Uh, not, not a ton, but I, I have heard the, the the reassurance. Oh, you picked a picked a good ski season to, to miss out on have a baby, and that, I like the sentiment. People are trying to make me feel better. Not that I feel poorly, but I do I do miss skiing the mountains and to be honest that that sentiment sort of rings a little hollow I for a variety of reasons I, I love being in the mountains regardless of the conditions skiing is a funny thing in the ski culture ski community is a funny thing that people are most psyched about skiing when it's snowing the most but that's not always the best for certain types of skiing you can't have too much snow to ski and even, even when we do go and ski and want the fresh snow, we're only skiing in the top portion of it. Whether there's 10 feet or 10 inches, as long as I'm not hitting the ground, 
I don't know the difference. Now, it's not that simple, but it is a phenomenon that has informed my life. I've lived in very snow-deprived ski regions, the Northeast, California, where uh, it can snow a lot, and there, there's this culture of skiing and terrain to ski, and, and there's, there's skiing to be had, but it's you can be skiing uh, literally on 10 feet or on 10 inches. Tetons here isn't, isn't like that same way. It's a little more steady one season to the next. And these an outlier season like this, there's still feet of snow in the mountains, and the skiing has been quite good overall. Uh, in any case, just, just some perspective there. Like like I like skiing so much that poor skiing is still quite enjoyable. The difference between good skiing and poor skiing is, is minor in the grand Stoke scale. Speaking of Stokesy, I just pulled up out of the National Elk, Elk Refuge Valley and looking at the Tetons now. Sunrise almost exactly right now. It's hitting my Tetons so bad. What a place. Uh, so yeah, on the topic of skiing and this baby, this is a weird one. But if I, like, if I had it to do over, with hindsight as 2020 vision, I would have planned this out seasonally a little different. My life is extremely seasonal. There is a very distinct seasonal rotation to my life. Everything about my life is, is seasonal. The, the activities I do, the work I do, the, the, the income, and I have a baby in the middle of February, as it turns out, is, is perhaps the least ideal scenario I miss lucrative uh, midwinter powder skiing and it, it greatly affects springtime expedition skiing it, uh, I'm watching a whole cohort of colleagues have babies in September and October and that sounds kind of perfect uh, fact of the matter is and this was our rationale at the beginning is that we didn't know we didn't know what it was going to take to get, to get pregnant we wanted to be trying as hard as we could as it turns out we were quite fertile did not take us a great deal of trying for which we are incredibly blessed. We're, we're, we're old parents uh, with long athletic health histories, which is not necessarily a recipe for, for high fertility, but Rosie and I got some magic and, and we're, we did well. So we might have been able to, in retrospect, we might have been able to uh, pick and choose and, and quote, planned out the, the timing of this baby minor, minor detail, and after this, you know, five, six month period, it will be a moot point, but it is something to, something to ponder. I guess lots of, I know, I know lots of other outdoor enthusiasts and professionals ponder the seasonality of their, of their family growth, and, uh, and it, almost in a joking fashion, but it feels sort of real right now. But it also feels even more real when conceiving and carrying a baby to term is a challenge. So I think that, especially for family's first baby, uh, just just trying all you can, whenever you can, is, is, is wise. That's what we did, and it feels wise. But as it turned out, we could have been a little more thinking and intentional. Uh, to, to 
matter fit fit it all into life. Um, yeah, speaking of life, the baby life, it's uh, little Charlie is just starting to smile, but her smile doesn't seem to be associated with any sort of actual emotions or external stimulus. She's clearly smiling when she's happy and not smiling when she's not happy. But what makes her happy does not seem within our control. But I think that's coming soon, which is neat because otherwise, this is this is sort of weird thing to say, but it is not that much fun right now having a baby. It's a lot of work. It is drudgery. I, I think we sort of hear that in an academic sense and in, in a retrospect, but uh, I'm not sure I've heard a, a current parent in the trenches as it may be uh, articulate that. How, how like, it is, it is not that fun. Uh, and I think there's, there's definitely a differential in the degree of fun between a breastfeeding mom and a, and a providing dad. She's, she's having a lot less fun than I am currently. But neither of us are having tough fun. It's not pretty. It's not joyous. It's just hard drudgery. Incidentally, uh, now speaking of drudgery and not not drudgery, I'm driving through the southern part of the park and the elk are distributing from the refuge and they're like silhouetted on the moraines and spread all over the plains here. It is sort of a special morning to be driving into this national park. Yeah, but back to the baby stuff. It's just hard. It's like you hear the stuff about sleep and, and sleep deprivation. And I've been told for, for years and years, oh, you don't drink coffee. You'll definitely drink coffee once you have a baby. And I don't, I, the fact of the matter is I don't, I don't want to be more awake. I want to sleep more. I have not yet succumbed to the coffee habit because I want to sleep more and more regularly. And... The baby doesn't sleep with with great uh, uh, reliability. I'm sorry, there's a moose running across the field right now in front of the Tetons. Anyway, the baby doesn't sleep very reliably, and that her parents don't sleep very reliably. Once she does sleep, for some reason, I, I in particular have not been sleeping well. Which is odd. Usually I'm pretty good at sleeping, but a couple nights ago, I was, you know, she slept for five, six hours in one stretch, which is amazing. Been great and sort of in line with her her phase of life development. Uh, we're psyched for that. She's on track. And I, I just couldn't get sleep. I just sat there reading uh, for hours and hours, trying to get to sleep. And that which brings me to my final topic here is the topic of reading. We are somewhat in de- desperation reading and watching and consuming every bit of parenting information we can on the on the early childhood uh, phenomenon as, you know, advice we're seeking out the, the parenting advice and it does it is a it is a horribly frustrating landscape a minefield if you will of, of just frustrating conflicting vague uh, over-promising under-delivering 
things. It's it's uh, we're not we're, we're we're peeling out some some effective tips and such, but it definitely feels like for every one of those truly effective tips, we're wading through and trying and experimenting with with hours of failed uh, investigations. It, it, raising a baby is sort of, especially as it pertains to the information around it, is, is a bit of a public health thing. And a public, we're talking about a public health messaging situation right now, much less our, our collective experience with, with the COVID thing over the last couple of years. The public health messaging is a total mess, and that does not, uh, baby raising is not exempt from that. On one hand, you encounter, the most authoritative information you encounter is from pediatric association and uh and it's like they've the, the science that pretty well explains like how to keep a baby from dying but what you need to do to keep every single baby from dying is extremely exhausting and it cannot be necessary there's no way that that all babies through all history were, were exposed to this sanitized uh, strict environment that uh, that is quote recommended. Um, so right off the bat, you, you're, we're told to do this, this strict regimen, and just to keep the baby alive, and that's exhausting and disingenuous and counterintuitive in a lot of situations, um, which leads to a great deal. So there's there's that. Then there's all the sort of the private sector, if you will, uh, landscape of books and videos and blogs and debates and discussions. And uh, there's a lot going on there too. How much your baby should eat and sleep and how to do it and such. And some of those, basically, the two tones are like two different themes. Are uh, do exactly this and. Your baby will be extremely happy and just perfect, and you'll sleep and you'll be a great parent. Then uh, the other extreme view is: here's all these different options. You got to try them all, and maybe one will work for you. But the the the, uh, the value in those in that the value add in those books and videos and such is. That they're showing us lots of options. The other side of the coin is that they're showing the one option that, that they're claiming is going to work for all of us. In neither case, does it work actually? I don't know what the right answer is, but uh, all the one of the things that does jump out at me is that all the uh, sources of information out there. At least that I've encountered, and I'm sure there's there's more than this. But uh, the popularly available, seemingly authoritative, widely distributed, widely consumed sources of baby raising advice seem to suggest that that paying attention to raising babies is only something we've done in the last 50 years, and that the history of, of raising babies is about 50 years long 
and that that's just preposterous. You know, I, I, I can't imagine that people have raised babies like we're raising them now for for the tens of thousands of generations. You know, you regularly encounter in these in these books. Oh well, we used to do it this way, and when they say we used to do it, they mean forty years ago when when Rosie and I were babies, not. 400 years ago or 4,000 years ago. And granted, it's hard to know what was being done 4,000 years ago, but it wasn't, you know, fancy Velcro clothes and, uh, and jiggling robotic beds, that's for sure. Uh, so that the very short historical timeline that's cited in, in the pantheon of, of baby raising advice is somewhat frustrating. And then there's uh, cultural omissions as well. And I know there's a movement to, to share better uh, parenting styles and, and, and baby care uh, protocols from other cultures. But I think the most telling thing was that in one, I watched the video from, that we subscribed to, to to learn better how to get Charlie to sleep. And uh, they go through the, you know, the, the regularly cited as the American Academy of Pediatricians. The AAP recommends this about sleeping and so on and so forth. And then, you know, so work within those guidelines, of course. These are the safety protocols you have to follow. And then within those guidelines, we think that these are the things that work. And, and then in that same breath, they say, well, it, and if you're outside the United States, make sure you consult your pediatrician or pediatrician organization which is hilarious that the uh, findings of, of these professionals and scientific bodies are they're not different in different countries but there's this idea that you have to do it this way in this country because this is what this organization says I don't know there's something there I'm not articulating that very well but there's, there's, there's something very odd about this to say, do this, because that's what the AAP says. But if you're not in this country, don't do it. Do whatever your country says. And that's not how humans work, especially tiny babies that have zero exposure to, to their culture until they're out in the air. Anyway, somewhat frustrating landscape. More than anything, though, like we are figuring it out. We're making progress. Little Charlie's making progress regardless of our efforts, which is pretty darn awesome. We couldn't, uh, as, you know, I think we're doing, doing way more than the bare minimum, and we could not hold her back if we tried. And I think we're soon going to be tempted to try because things are changing fast, and she's exciting, and she is, she is a good, 